if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to uh, Romans chapter 8, verses, verses 1 and 2. And I thought about this a lot in context of this sermon tonight. This sermon is entitled, Living Without Condemnation. And I'm going to preach this like I'm five. And I'm going to preach to you like you're five. Because I think sometimes we take these doctrines of Scripture, we make them so complicated that even the one preaching it really doesn't understand. We're just using a lot of theological terms. We're using a lot of theological words. And at the end of the day, like, everybody's confused. Everybody really doesn't understand what it really means to live without condemnation. Because, listen, let me tell you something. I'm telling you, and this is a burden of mine that I'm noticing in the generation in which we live. That I can sit down with Christians, and Christians, guess what? You knock the ball out of the park when you start talking about the, 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 the plan of salvation, how to, be a, how to become a Christian, how to get saved, how do you go to heaven. You talk to any Christian, and you know what? You'll knock the ball out of the park. You'll get it. You'll understand it. Then, then you come to, like, the gospel. How does the gospel impact your life? And then it gets kind of weird. Then it gets kind of strange. Or, or how do you live a life without condemnation, what Paul is talking about? See, listen, I, I so get this. Because for the first 10 years of my Christian life, I was in Christ. I was a believer. I was born again. I was saved. I was going to heaven. I was pasteurized. I was homogenized. I did it all. And I'm going to heaven. But for 10 years, I lived under condemnation. I still remember early in my Christian life, I'm sitting in church and this pastor preached this message. And I still remember it like yesterday. And he, he, and he said, he said in the body of the message, he said, you know what? When we die and when we go to heaven, we'll go to the judgment seat, the Bema seat. We'll go to the judgment seat. We'll go before God. And God's going to play this m- movie in the sky of everything you've ever done wrong, everything you've ever said, every sin you've ever had. And he may even stop and pause it from time to time because you're going to have to give an account. And you're just going to have to give an account. And my first thought, I'm like this new Christian, I, my first thought was this, well, no wonder heaven is for eternity. Because it's going to take that long, right? It's going to take that long to get through the movie. It's going to take that long, and I could almost see the big, you know, large proverbial finger come and like point and point stuff out. And listen, I'm telling you, I met Christ in 1981, married Karen in 1983. In 1983, six months after we were, uh, were married, I got an offer from two churches. To, they said, we, I didn't even look for the job. They just said, we've noticed you. We feel like God's hand is on you. And so we want to offer you a job of being our, our, our youth pastor. One church was a church of 25,000 people in Houston, Texas. You might would think they know what they're doing. It's crazy. I accepted the job. And the day I was supposed to like report to the job, I called them from my engineering office and said, I'm not coming. And I made up a reason. You know, if you, if you don't want to do something, you just throw God in. God led me. The real reason was my guilt, my shame was so high. My condemnation was so high of my life before Christ and that I felt I'd like disqualified myself. 
see the danger of this issue of condemnation? I'm telling you. When you feel like you're living a life under condemnation and you're not really free of your sins and forgiven and we're going to walk through this, it will keep you from your potential. It will keep you from what God may have called you to do because for some reason you don't think you measure up and you feel like and you may walk through your entire life feeling like, you know what, I never really have hit the mark. I never really have measured up. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And we're just going to walk through this. I'm going to ask you three questions, not ask you. I'm going to ask and answer rhetorical. But anyway, go ahead. I just need to start. Go. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that, that's just Paul's way of saying believers. We'll, we'll unpack that. Because the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So maybe since, since I'm five, and we're trying to understand this, maybe the easiest way to understand condemnation is how it makes you feel. Sometimes that's the easiest way to back into a definition, especially one like this. One is you just feel guilty. Um, you know you did something wrong. You know you're wrong. You know you're guilty. You're condemned for it. You're on death row. You got your, you got your hand caught in the proverbial cookie jar. Uh, you feel guilty. You're just waiting. You're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And so that's one of them. A fear, the, the, you feel guilty. Another one is this. You just feel fear. You feel fear of having one day to face the video in the sky or maybe the scales or whatever, whatever someone used with you, that you've, you've done something wrong, you know you're condemned, and one day, one day, you're going to have to pay for it. Or you just feel self-rejection. I blew it. I was stupid. I made a mistake. But yet the Bible, the Bible says that God does not want his children to live under those feelings of guilt and fear, self-condemnation, rejection, sitting in a worship service thinking everybody else measures up but you. Everybody else probably has a better life, a better Christian life than you do. I'm going to ask and answer three questions that I think is important for us to understand for this and the first one is this, and, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I've actually been on this one point for the last four weeks. <laughs> one is, is, is how does God respond when I sin? So how does God respond when, I'm sin, when, when I sin? And, you know, you know I, we have two daughters, um, and, and when, when my children sin, you know what? I'm, I'm like burdened for them. I mean, I, I hurt for them. Because I know the consequences of their sin, but I, I don't disown them. I'm not, listen, I'm not disappointed in them. And guess what? God is not disappointed in you, and God is not disappointed in me when we sin. Because you know what? I know my daughters. I know, I know they're bent. I know, I know their temptations. I know, I know them. I just know them. But guess what? When they sin, when they do stuff wrong, they are still my children. And if you and I, listen, if you and I do not understand this and we'll live, we'll live a life out of fear. And so some of the things that, that happens or some of the things that God responds when we sin is this, is God's, God still accepts me. 
Even in my, when I am in Christ, he, here's what he, this is a huge verse, John 6, 37. And this is like Jesus talking. So if you have like a New Testament and it has like red letters, this is like red letter stuff. And the red letters are the words of Jesus. And so John 6, 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, oh my word, I will never, I'll never cast out. If you're a Christian and you've given your life to Christ, the scripture says you're in Christ, you're his. And he will never reject you. He will never cast you out. A Christian never has to worry about God kicking him out of the family. Some of the other things that happens is his love for me is unconditional. Our acceptance is based on our position in Christ. 167 times I I read to you, uh, there, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus was Paul's favorite way of describing believers. 167 times in the New Testament, in his writings, he uses the word in Christ Jesus. And what he's helping us understand positionally, that we are in Christ. We are covered by his blood. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, he looks through the perfection of Jesus Christ. He looks through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we can have confidence. Um, Here's another one, what the scripture says. This is one of my favorite. And he is patient with us. He is patient with you. He is patient with me and our inconsistency. We may get angry at ourselves because we think, you know what, we should be better by now. We should work through this by now. But when you look at this, you find that, that he is patient with us even when we're inconsistent. I mean, it's crazy. Paul writes Romans chapter 7. Paul is writing about this, the roller coaster, the ups and downs. Look at this, Psalm 103, 13 and 14. Here's what he says. He says, the father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear, who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, reminding that we are dust. Listen, God knows our frame. God knows our weaknesses. God knows our bents. God knows our struggle because he's a perfect father. And the scripture says over and over that he is patient with us. One of my favorite memories of, of like children and raising kids is when Brittany and Amanda got to the place where they could start learning to walk, and Karen would sit on the Karen and I would sit on the floor in the living room, and it, you know what we we would sit down and we'd we'd prop them up, and then we'd send them like send them on their way and have M and M's or whatever, and 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 you know and you want them to walk, and then they'll take a step or two and and, and they trip and they would fall, and so we didn't look we didn't start yelling at them and say I'm so disappointed in you and give them a 30 minute lecture and put them in time out for an hour and do some other things. Because we knew what? They're learning to walk. We know it's like, kind of like the, they're just learning to walk. And so what we do, we, we'd, we'd pick them up, we'd prop them up, and we may give them some instructions. And, 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 and then we'd send them. That's what the Father does for us. In order, in order to be disappointed with somebody, you've got to expect them to do something different. With you and Jesus understands temptation and some of those other things. So, so now, big question is okay. So then, what happens when a Christian sins? I mean, what happens when a Christian sins? And if we're saved totally, 
um, God accepts us regardless, and, and we cannot lose our salvation. And he's not angry with us, and he's patient with us, and our inconsistencies, and he's going to love me regardless. And then, so then, then, then a rational mind could say, okay, then why be good? And I'm glad you asked. Paul answered that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, uh, 1 through 4. Here's what he says. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Reminds us of 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Therefore... We are a new creation. The, the, the old is gone and the new has come. Newness of life. In your sin, listen, your sin and my sin makes no difference for his acceptance of you, but it makes a big difference of your personal happiness, your joy, consequences. So some of the things that happens when a believer sins the first thing that happens, it, it brings conviction from God. That's just what Scripture tells us. John 16, 8 begins unpacking this, and then Paul unpacks this other places. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, talking to the Holy Spirit, righteousness and, and, and judgment. So part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life, when we accept Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. One of the deals is for him to teach and to train, and another deal is for him to, to convict Conviction just simply means making us aware of our sin. Acts chapter 2 is like one of the clearest places to like understand this because God is not going to lay a big guilt trip on you and give you fear. Um, it's specific. He's going to tell you where you're wrong. He's not, listen, he is not going to say you're worthless. He is not going to say you're valueless. God never sees damaged goods. And all of a sudden you see this clear response to this, Acts 2.37. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, man, what shall we do? And so here's a clear example of conviction. I mean, have you ever, have you ever been like life journaling or you ever been reading a devotional you ever been like hearing a worship song or something like that or, or, or maybe sitting in a service and you hear a sermon and all of a sudden it just, that, that verse or something just cuts you to your heart and it's just specific and it's just specific and, and all of a sudden you know what he's talking about and you realize that, you know what, I, man, in this area, I, I missed the mark. In this area, I didn't live up to my full potential. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't the person that I could be. Man, the way, the way I responded to my spouse, the way I responded to a friend, the way I responded in this situation, I realize, I realize I see this verse and it cuts you to the heart. It's specific. See, one of the ways, and a, and a lot of people will ask, well, then how do you and I tell the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation says this. I am no good. I am damaged goods. I will never be good. Conviction always is what shall we do. Conviction is say, you know what? 
I know exactly what I did. I did. Satan always speaks in general terms. Because Satan never wants you to do anything about it. God always speaks in specifics. To where all of a sudden we read that verse, we hear that sermon, we hear that song. We read that devotional book. And we say, oh no. And we're cut to the heart and we say, what do we do? I want to be different. See, see, Holy Spirit always speaks in specifics. That was jealousy. That was anger. That was gossip. That was slander. He'll be a very specific in your area. Remember Simon Peter when he denied Christ? And the scripture says that he went out and he wept bitterly. And then, then like 60 days later, he, he lives up to his potential. He gets right with God and he preaches Acts chapter 2. He preaches the sermon at Pentecost. Here's another, here's another thing that happens when we sin, whether we like it or not. Sin hurts other people around us and destroys our joy and happiness. Every sin I commit, every sin anybody commits has a harmful effect on our bodies physically, our emotions emotionally, and our spirits spiritually. Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse through, 6 through 8, says, Let the one who, who is taught the word share all of his good things with the teacher. Do not be deserved, uh, deceived. God is not marked. Uh, not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Now I'm reading like a five-year-old. <laughs> this is the law of sowing and reaping. There's a lot of people that want to sow their wild oats and then pray for crop failure. But there's a law of sowing and reaping. Can, can I just tell you? Grace... Forgiveness doesn't exempt you and you and me from natural consequences of our foolish mistakes, of our sin. It's, it's not a judgment. It's a consequence. Everything has a consequence in life, good and bad. If you do good things, you have good consequences. If you do bad things, you're going to have bad consequences. It's, it's the issue of, good, of, of judgment versus natural consequences. What you sow, what Scripture says, you'll reap. And there, there are seasons. There are seasons of sowing and there are seasons of reaping. And sometimes there's a delay between the two. I mean, if I, if I totally ignore, ignore my doctor and I totally ignore him and I continue to eat healthy, and my, uh, unhealthy, because <laughs> I haven't started to eat healthy yet, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting there. Things are improving. It won't tomorrow, but that's cheat day. That is cheat day. <laughs> and so if I, if I ignore him and I continue to eat unhealthy and my numbers continually get bad and, and then all of a sudden I get like a, a heart attack, that is a natural reaction. Just something physical. And when we sin, just so we're clear, it doesn't change our relationship with God. It doesn't change our relationship to God. He still loves me. He still accepts me. He is not angry with me. He is very patient with me. Here's a crazy thing. When Paul wrote, wrote this, and, and please remember, in the, in, when, when, when the scriptures were written, there were no chapter and verse. fact is, I, real quickly, it's kind of a crazy story. 
how, how the Bible got chapters and verses, so the chapters and verses aren't anointed. I mean, it's not, you know, anyway, it's not inspired. It was a circuit-riding preacher that would ride on horseback, and when he'd preach, he had trouble telling people where to turn to in their Bibles to locate stuff. So when he would preach from town to town, when he'd ride on a horseback, he'd write chapter numbers and verse numbers. That's how we got them. That's just how, and then theologians cleaned that up a little later. And so it's not, it's not inspired. And so there's a natural break between 7 and 8, and sometimes we see them as two separate things. They're not. In chapter 7, Paul is talking, it's crazy. Paul is talking about the struggle of sin. And Paul is talking there sometimes. I do what I, I do what I do not want to do. And the things that I do not want to do, I end up doing. What a wretched man am I. And he's in the struggle. And then chapter 8 comes and he says, and Now therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you're in the struggle, when I'm in the struggle, we got to remember that. Here's another thing. Fellowship with God is broken. I'm not talking about relationship. Relationship and fellowship, two different things. Two different things. Relationship to God when we sin is not broken. We are still his son. We are still his daughter. We are still in relationship with him. You're still his Christian. You're still in Christ. You're still a child of God. But the fellowship, fellowship is broken. Used an illustration last week about a granddaughter. I can use it with my daughters. My daughters can grow up to disown me, live a lifestyle that I totally disagree with, and they're still my girls. They're still my daughters. The relationship may be still intact, but the fellowship could be strained. And it's just real quickly, it's important for us to understand the difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept a person and their lifestyle, even though sinful, without approving of their lifestyle. You can accept a person without saying, I approve of everything you're doing. And God accepts you. Here's another one. Fellowship is just broken. Look at this in, in 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him. So in case you're wondering, this word fellowship, this is in the word. If we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in dark, darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How do you know when you're in fellowship with him? You have, you have joy. You have peace. You're not being convicted about a specific area, something that needs to change. So here's the third and the last question. How should a Christian deal with sin in their life? So how do, you, how do you deal with sin in your life? How do you walk through that? 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also those of the whole world. So the ideal is that we don't sin. But if we break the ideal then all of a sudden he begins to help us understand 
that he's our advocate. He is pleading our case. He is reminding the Father that, yes, the wages of sin are death. But because of my atoning sacrifice on the cross, they are totally complete, totally forgiven, and deeply loved in me. Some things that we just have to do, these are some, th- some of the things I learned to walk through, and the first one is this, is we just have to remind ourselves this comes at no surprise to God. This comes at no surprise to God. And it's already been paid for. So the first thing that we do when we sin, we just got to remember, God died for us. Jesus has already paid for your sin. And he's our advocate. That's what, what he says. He's our atoning sacrifice. He is pleading our case. He's, he's, he comes to our defense. So the first thing we do, we just remind ourselves that we're his. We're in Christ. He has paid for our sins. The second thing that we do, we have to come to the place we confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, righteous, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word, the word confess in the Greek just means to agree with, to the, say the same thing as. So confession in this, this area means, to, means I'm going to agree with God. I'm going to say the same thing as God, as God does. I'm going to agree with God. That was sin. That was envy. That was gossip. That was slander. That was sin. I'm going to agree with him. The three B's is what I call them. And sometimes we get in the habit of doing a lot of us, the first thing we do, we just start begging, right? Please, 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 please forgive me. You don't have to beg God to forgive you. He's forgiven you. Sometimes we, we start bargaining with God, right? Ever done that? Don't, don't answer it out loud. Have you ever started bargain, bargaining with God? God, if you forgive me, I will tie 10% of my income for the rest of my life. God, if you'll, if you'll just forgive me, if you'll just take care of this then I will, I, will, I will go to church every Sunday. I will read my Bible every day. God, it, listen, I'm telling you, if you happen to struggle or a weakness of yours, you're good. you may be back there in 24 hours. If you, if you struggle with gossip, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. If you struggle with slander, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. If you struggle with the issue of pride or something else, it's going to be a constant battle. Listen, confession. Confession doesn't take care of the future. It restores your fellowship. That's why David prayed, not return to me the joy, not return to me my salvation, return to me the joy of my salvation. Some people will just kind of bribe God. And make all these commitments and promises. The last thing is this, and for some may be the most difficult. You're going to have to accept forgiveness. And I'm going to add something, and I'll explain that. You're going to have to add for. You're going to have to accept forgiveness, and then forgive yourself. And it's such a hard thing to do. Sometimes 
It's easier to ask for forgiveness, confess it, and to believe and to be forgiven than to believe we're forgiven and to focus on the future. We understand this is about grace and I know the Bible says, therefore now there is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus, and that's true, unless you condemn yourself. Self-condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus that comes from God. There's like this misbelief. I've, I've been in this trap. I've lived this for 10 years of my Christian life. It took seminary. I'm sitting in a systematic theology class, and I realized there's not a movie in the sky. There's this misbelief. I'll punish myself for my sins. I'll... I'll condemn myself. I'll put myself down. I'll have self-condemnation talk. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever ro like rolled the tape for yourself. Like right before you go to bed, those quiet moments, and all of a sudden the tape starts running in your head, those self-condemnation thoughts, things of the past, things you've done, things you've said, and they're playing over and over and over in your mind. Can I just tell you, God does not want his children to condemn themselves. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. First John, he, he writes it this way. He says, verse 3, chapter 19, he said, This is how we'll know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him. This is huge. Whenever our hearts condemn us, aren't you glad you have a loving father? that knows we are prone to self-condemnation, knows we are prone to beating ourselves up over our sin. And whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. And when I'm feeling down and when I'm running that self-condemnation tape, and I'm down on myself, I remember God is bigger. God is greater than my heart. So many Christians mistake their emotional hang-ups for the voice of God. I feel guilty. I feel bad. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from the dead works so that we can serve the living God. I called a really good friend that's a counselor. I said, what do you work on the most with people? He said, I help them understand the theology that God has accepted you, but then I walk them through a process of learning to accept that forgiveness which means forgiving themselves. The definition of forgive. Stop feeling angry 
are resentful towards someone, maybe you, for an offense, flaw, or mistake. God does not motivate his children out of fear, out of guilt. I could think I have a piece of, I do. It's my Walmart receipt. (laughs) If this, and then we'll close with this. If this piece of paper represented our, our life, our sin, all of our faults, all of our hang-ups, all of that stuff. When we come to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, I mean, I, I can put them in this iPad, cover it up, and you no longer see it because it's in the iPad. When we come to Christ, when we come to Christ, He takes all of our sin, all of our hang-ups, all of our faults. And we are in Christ. We are covered. And when the Father looks at us, He doesn't see our sins. He doesn't see our hang-ups. He doesn't see that. You know what He sees? He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. And He sees us through the perfection, the righteousness of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?